Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Brandon White. A 14-year-old Brandon would never have thought that there would be an intersection between his poetry and a saying, cultural awareness and institutional leadership. Yet, here he is, 16 years later, living and thriving at this intersection. In addition to routinely producing thought-provoking poetry through hip-hop music, Brandon White is currently working for Unbounded Learning, Inc. Prior to this new role in education reform, the MSA classroom educator is a middle school ELA teacher traditionally and was a restorative practice initiatives coordinator in the school building for the Rochester City School District. Since it was hip-hop that made education relevant to him as an adolescent student, He specializes in providing that cultural relevance and responsiveness through pedagogy and content. Each year, he has run an after-school club called Chess, Rhymes, and Wisdom, along with teaching for the Rochester City School District. White has been a part of the RCSD's Community Task Force to improve school culture and a member of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Teacher Advisory Council. He has worked for the NEAD, N-E-A-D, Freedom Schools as a servant leader and site coordinator. So welcome, Brandon White. How are you? Good. How are you, Miss Sanabria? Am I saying your name correctly? Actually, yes, you nailed it. Awesome. (laughs) And by the way, you can call me Lily. Thank you, Lily. (laughs) All right. So we're so happy to have you on our podcast. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So Brandon, are you ready to pour into our listeners? I absolutely am. Awesome. So, Brendan, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Sure. I feel like my path to leadership started by witnessing my parents. My parents were my first leaders in my life. I reference their actions more than any book that I've ever read. And I'm actually just kind of coming to terms with that and realizing that. But in addition to that, when you become a teacher, you understand that you are a leader, not necessarily with tons of formal authority, right? It's not like you're making major policy decisions or even curricular decisions, but you are an informal leader within your classroom, within your school building. And obviously that can mix up with some formal leadership as well, right? But I feel like one of the biggest realities of being a teacher is the informal leadership that you tend to have with the students you teach, with your school building community, and ideally with the community outside the school. And, you know, learning through those realities as a classroom teacher has been very special for me and has been very informative as I continue to expand what it means to have informal leadership. I participated in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Teacher Advisory Council, and that's how I got to know William, actually. Mm -hmm. 
Um, William Anderson, who has, Anderson. Who, yeah, who was on our podcast as well. Yep. When I grow up, I want to be like him someday. Me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> through that, actually, I discovered that leadership is not so much a destination, but like a discipleship, right? It's this process that you never made it as a leader. Mm-hmm. And TAC definitely helped me realize that I was surrounded by uh, brilliant people when there was always something to learn from them. And, you know, the program offered a lot of different tools for leadership, got exposed to a lot of different authors. And after that, you know, I continued to be in classroom teaching and I ended up picking up a position as a coordinator of restorative practices initiatives for the school building and assisting with that process district-wide through, again, informal leadership things like being a part of a community task force and just kind of being pulled for different professional developments and seminars. So tell me a bit about the restorative practices and why you decided to go that route. It's such a broad term, Mm -hmm. but I'll do my best to try to condense it. Restorative practices are just a set of tools and a mindset that encourages reciprocated respect and perspective and healthy relationships within the community. Right. And what drew you to that? That was my why, or one of my whys Hmm. for teaching in the first place, right? You know, I I appreciate literacy. I appreciate reading, obviously, you know, because my training and certification is in middle school and high school English language arts Mm -hmm. instruction. Mm -hmm. But the why was because I knew what literacy's power was to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I got into that because that why was deeply connected. And in through that why, I understood how so much of the struggles we go through in schools have obviously like an academic struggle piece about it, but heavily a socio-emotional piece, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, More so than I ever understood before. You always kind of know things before you actually know them, know them, (laughs) right? I came closer to knowing, knowing when I started doing restorative practices work. However, I did miss the content piece. So when I got the opportunity to be a part of the diversity residency program through Unbounded Learning, I jumped on it. And yet another thing where I'm learning a lot more about leadership than I had prior, right? Mm -hmm. Or another dimension of leadership, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just been a journey. It's been a discipleship and I'm just happy to be doing it. And what is it that you're doing now? Currently, I'm working for Unbounded Learning. Unbounded is a nonprofit that provides open education resources and works to serve people at the intersection of equity and the standards. And my job in that as a member of the residency program is curating, revising, and creating curriculum pieces available on their website and facilitating professional development that they lead and organize. And, you know, it's like legitimately a residency because in that there's work, but there's tons of learning and I've been learning so much. And, you know, a big part of leadership is developing a growth mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And this particular experience has pushed that more than the average work point that I've worked from. And I am just thoroughly grateful to be having this experience right now. And I'm learning a lot about leadership and learning a lot about content and just about education reform in general, that whole terrain. You'd be surprised about how many school-based teachers, people in education are actually 
nine to five in school buildings don't have a solid understanding of the education reform terrain. And I had to be basically outside of the school building to get an understanding of that terrain. Mm. I'm just learning tons. You know, one of the things too is a lot of educators don't understand that they are very important leaders. Yes. You were talking about this at the very beginning, that a teacher is a leader. And I'm pretty impressed already. You nailed it as far as leadership. You talked about that leadership is a process and that it's important to know your why and to have a growth mindset. Really important concepts in leadership. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Brandon, how would you describe your leadership style? That's still something that I, you know, struggle with identifying. And even when I heard it, when it was previously asked, I had struggles trying to pinpoint it. I would say that the most important part of my leadership style is just my willingness to learn, whether it be learning about another person's experience or learning about different realities regarding leadership and being sympathetic while still sharing and pushing for whatever vision we come up with unapologetically that balance of really asserting work while still sympathizing with people's learning curves or understandings of the work is something I probably get from my time in the classroom. I think one of the other things with that being said is that I do a decent job. I feel like taking my best practices in the classroom and translating them, converting them into broader leadership practices. Right. So while technically the teacher is quote unquote in charge, they're more of a facilitator of learning as opposed to the master of learning. They're providing direction. They're not necessarily driving the car all the way. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the pieces that I see in leadership that I find very valuable and it gets reflected. I typically, whenever I've taken leadership positions, for example, I've also been a site coordinator of the uh, Northeast Area Development Freedom Schools program, which is a summer literacy program, which encourages obviously literacy and culturally responsive teaching and instruction and content. Through that, I typically walk around the building as another person that's just a part of the community. I don't have a perception of big me, little you's. I have a perception of this is my role that supports you, and this is your role that supports me, and these are our roles that support the students. I would say that's probably one of my biggest strengths. And I'm always reading about or looking for how other people lead as well. That's the learning piece, right? Whether I'm reading Heifetz, uh, Leadership Without Easy Answers, or if I'm reading about, you know, somebody from history, like I've also been reading about Martin Luther King's leadership. I think that plays a big role in how I conduct myself, or if I'm just watching a silly movie and I'm seeing how a person is, you know, leading a situation, um, I tend to sample the best out of what I've seen and been exposed to. I see the influence that your parents had on you. You said that they were people who take action. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And I certainly see that in you, how you're curious about people, you're curious about how things are done and about leaders. And that's a wonderful thing to cultivate because we need to stay curious. Yes, for sure. So Brandon, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? One quote that has definitely helped me digest what leadership is, when you liberate the minds of men, you liberate the bodies of men right? And that was by Marcus Garvey. And that was one of the 
quotes that really made me think about how people operate at an earlier age. It really made me realize education has everything to do with changing people's behavior. And it might not always go at the pace we want it or at the rate we want it or even in the way that we originally envisioned, right? And even though we're educators, that may not land until afterwards or it may land outside of school. That's right. You definitely spoke truth in that last piece, right, about it happening after school, well after your classes. But when you plant those seeds, that's the way. Another one that actually has helped me a decent amount, and this is a proverb, And I always forget which culture this proverb comes from. But the idea of they tried to bury us in the ground, but they didn't know that we were seeds. (laughs) That's That right there tells me about leadership and the vigilance Mm -hmm. that is necessary for leadership. Because you could easily believe just because you're being buried that you're done for, right? However... We are not just inanimate objects. We are not dead objects. We're spirits, beings that have thoughts, energies, and actions, kinetic and potential, like a seed. (laughs) So whatever circumstances that we get put into, we can definitely grow our way out of them. And it just takes mindfulness. It takes coordination. It takes patience. And I'm paraphrasing this next one. Mm -hmm. But the idea of servant leadership and I forget the exact quotation from Martin Luther King, but basically everybody has the capacity to serve. I think that's hyper important to understand because I feel like our culture tends to think about leadership in an autocratic lens, right? Like, okay, only certain people are leaders. Right. But all leadership is, is is servitude. And anybody and everybody has a role to play and to lead, whether it's me in the classroom or a student in their groupings or a parent, or a person in their recreational activities, like leadership is just service. You're thinking and coordinating best outcomes for people outside of yourself. And is that the type of leader you're most inspired by, a servant leader? Yes, absolutely. That has a lot to do with my time and experiences with the Freedom School Summer Literacy Programs, because that's what we call our summer educators, servant leaders. And that comes from the language of Ella Baker, who uh, worked for a student nonviolent coordinating committee. That comes from the civil rights era, where we might know the name of a few civil rights activists. However, all the people that we know would not be who they are if it wasn't for a lot of other people playing their role as leaders that we never hear about. That was the crazy thing about it, right? Even though we now put Martin Luther King Jr. as, you know, the pyramid cap, (laughs) right, for a civil rights movement or the figurehead, there are a lot of other moving parts of leadership that allowed for the movement to be what it was. Some people are in the history books, some people aren't, but they still play those pivotal leadership roles. And that was servant leadership, serving people, making you a leader, not using authority to make you a leader. It's potent. And certainly when I think of people who inspire us to follow them, you know, I think of people like Martin Luther King. I think of people like Gandhi, who also served those around him. I think of Jesus. I'm inspired by servant leaders as well because they add value to people. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Brandon, what's the best advice you ever received? 
Does okay. it have to be from a person, like in a real life conversation? No, whatever you want to okay. share with us. Sure. I'll share two. One piece of advice that I've received is allowing for whatever you do to speak for itself. And I've heard that from a couple people. I've heard that from teachers. I've heard that from <laughs> rappers, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, it can be so easy to get into debating matches, shouting matches, because, you know, unfortunately, in the realm of leadership, whether you're talking about wider ed reform or whether you're talking about community leadership or community work or activism or even just being in your school building, right? Mm -hmm. It can be very easy to get into debates about who's doing what and how hard is somebody working about this or how hard is somebody working about that or is this person really about this and that's toxic it's extremely toxic and all you can really do is just let your work speak for itself and if you are ever invited to those kind of nonsensical debates or conversations use that as an invitation to reflect on your work and to improve your work you know and i feel like that's been some of the best advice I've received. One other piece of advice, and this is actually going back to quotes because I get a lot of my advice from quotes from somebody I've watched speaking, not necessarily somebody always giving me major advice. Uh, this book, Deep Work by Cal Newport. This is something that I struggle with a lot, just in general, in terms of being able to stay concentrated for an extended period of time <laughs> I got news for you, Brandon. <laughs> You're not the only yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. And, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I get from that book is having a focus to life is the best life there is, mm -hmm. right? And I'll be lying to you if I said I'm living by that quote right. by the book, but it's aspirational. And it's aspirational advice, right? And it keeps me groomed and focused on my to-do list, my tasks. It keeps me very metacognitive about what I'm doing, even if I do fail miserably at times. And so a quick question. I think I have this book, actually. But it reminds me of another book that I've read called Essentialism. And so this deep work that you're talking about, staying focused, is this around your passion? When one of those is based in leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Leadership is one of the core elements based in passions. But I think that it's so applicable to anything that I care about, whether it means the work I'm doing in Unbounded, trying to find, revise, and present PD or curriculum or lesson plans, or if it means financial things I have to take care of around the house, or whether it means my artistic endeavors as a poet, MC, and being the master of all works that I do. And again, mm -hmm. I feel like the key part of leadership is your ability and desire to learn as much about whatever you are trying to lead. And that in itself provides you with the intellectual and authoritative capital. That's a weak point of mine, mm -hmm. right? In terms of just staying focused. I feel like it's only gotten worse in this social media era. Yes. So yeah, I do find that this is a good medicine, like focusing on my focus and diving into things deeply is a good medicine or health inducer for my leadership as a whole. 
A lot of this deep work requires that you have a mindset, right? Or that um, you do something on a daily basis to set your mind. What do you do, Brandon, to make sure that your mind is set? Because I get it, and I'm sure all our listeners get it. A lot of things pull at us. Right. So what is it that you do on a daily basis to set your mind for that? A couple things. One, I make sure that I write my schedule out. And it helps me frame my mind about what's going to happen. Two, in the beginning of the week, I make sure that I write out all the major tasks that need to happen for general life things, for work-related things, and for artistic endeavors. Every morning, I make sure, this is really basic stuff, and I want to continue to evolve it. Every morning, I make sure that I drink a glass of water. Because what that does is it activates your body and your organs. It's an extremely healthy thing for you to do uh, when you wake up in the morning. I make sure to eat light, but eat right in the morning. And I make sure that, because, you know, now, now that I'm doing this residency program, I don't walk around as much. It's a lot of telecommute. Mm -hmm. So I make sure that I at least walk around a bit, at least get some sort of calisthenics in to keep my mind right and make sure I eat right as well. <laughs> I recently tried out veganism. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's been an interesting journey. <laughs> well, you know, it works for some people and for some people mm -hmm. it doesn't. You're, you're not lying about that. And for me, I'll say it's helping me because mm -hmm. I'm not good with modification, Lily. Like, <laughs> you know, I've told myself like, okay, I only go to Wendy's once a month, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work out that way, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So I set a particular goal that helped me abstain from things that I can't have moderation with, right? So for me, that's definitely helped. I also do what I can to make sure that I'm reading about 20 to 30 minutes a day outside of whatever I'm mandated to read for work, which can be a challenge, but those are the things I push for to keep my mind focused. Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Let's talk about the leadership game. Here are some of the things that you and your team will experience while playing. Team building, using a fun and engaging tool. The leadership game is a board game that allows everyone to gather around the table. Open sharing and communication. Every question and discussion card is designed to trigger open, honest feedback. Leadership skills assessment. The game challenges your team members to embrace who they are as leaders and stronger relationships. By the end of the game, team members will learn to appreciate one another and forge stronger relationships, a winning edge for any organization. So go to masterleadership.org forward slash TLG and find out how to bring the leadership game to your organization. When we first got on, you uh, absolutely looked like a middle schooler. Oh my goodness. And you threw me off. But I'm so impressed with how well you know yourself. Thank you. That's one of the foundations of good leadership, right? Absolutely. One thing I will say, though, about that, and this is, you know, continuing the knowing myself piece, like when you obsessively reflect, because I feel like there are times where I obsessively reflect. And when I obsessively reflect, it can be paralyzing, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm hyper aware of this or hyper aware of that, it can be a little hard to break out of that and actually do something yeah. about it, <laughs> right? And that's something I've tried to come to terms with in the past two years 
in regards to obsessively reflecting, just trying to moderate that a little bit. So that way I can not be paralyzed and go through this cycle of reflection <laughs> that never leads to us. Action. You know, action. Yeah, no, for sure. It might even be a bit of the artist in me, right? Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes artists are very reflective for the purpose of producing art. Not always having action around the art. Getting deep in reflection is what allows for the artistic output, right? But, you know, that's not always a helpful mechanism if I'm trying to do social work and trying to have a social work output. So that's been a journey in itself for sure. You're spot on. And I think that's why it's so important to get a coach to speak yes. into your life. It's great to reflect, but you're right. We get into this paralysis of analysis yes. and then fear can kick in. And so we do need people in our corner and having coaches speak into our lives to me is one of the most important things that leaders can do. You know, we have those blind spots, right? That we don't see that others can help us with. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Brandon, what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? That question, when I first got exposed to it, it made me think, man, I've been meaning to read that book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. But experientially, I think you need a couple things to have a healthy team. One is transparency, mm -hmm. right? I would put that above anything else. Transparency about how you felt about somebody else's actions, transparency about how you feel about a particular initiative you're working on, transparency about what's personal struggles, not necessarily divulging everything that's going on with you, but transparency about where you are in life. All those things, I feel like, they range from super obvious poisons to a team or quiet poisons that just insidiously kind of build up. And then out of nowhere, you're like, oh man, where'd this come from? And it causes heavy damage or even breaking up of teams. And even if it never causes an official breakup, you never reach optimum level, right? Of what you could be doing if everything was just out on the table, mm -hmm. right? And that's not always easy for us to do because mm -hmm. we all have our agendas. We all are private about certain things or certain thoughts, but that's very important to do if a team is to grow because that builds the trust, which produces the longevity. Communication is another piece. That's something that I am not great at. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> you're kidding initial... me. You, you, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> yes. initial... Are you kidding me? Did you just say that you're not great at communication? I am not great at communication. Tell me about that. Okay. I want to so, hear this. I feel like you've definitely experienced that <laughs> yourself with me because the initial email about this podcast, it went to a less checked email account I have. But it still took some time for me to get myself together and communicate right with you, right? That's been an ongoing struggle and process for me. But here's the thing about transparency, right? Mm -hmm. When you are transparent about what your struggle is and you're earnest about trying not to have that struggle and other people on the team have that same kind of dynamic with their struggles, people are patient. People are able to empathize with you, right? Mm -hmm. Because they know what it's like to earnestly try to change a struggle. And if they see parts where you are struggling and you are succeeding, that's healthy. And they won't hold that against you as much because it's been out there spoken about and the struggle with trying to maintain it or excuse me, correct it is real. And the other person is doing the same for you, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's you know about lateness or if it's about passive aggressiveness or if it's about microaggressions. So I would say communication 
would be key. And I would also say outside of work connections. I also run a local radio show that kind of explores the intersection between education and hip hop. And there's a team of us, there's three of us. But what we do is we make sure that we link outside of the purposes of planning for the next show or interviewing the next person, or we make sure that we eat, we make sure we have funny conversations that have nothing to do with the work. You know what I'm saying? Because the more personally connected you are with a person, the more authentically, more, you know, not just like, you know, superficially, right? Um, yeah, you build trust. Yeah, exactly. That, that trust builds and you're able to get the work done better. And you're able to hear each other better when it comes to the work. I would say those would be the three main things, transparency, communication, and gathering outside of work. Wonderful. Now, you mentioned you were a part of a radio show. Can you tell us a bit about that? And if our listeners wanted to tune in, how could they do that? The radio show is named Boom Bapt, uh, capital E-D. Boom Bapt being a frequent term used in hip-hop culture, referring to the way that the kick and snare go in a lot of classic hip-hop music. And then the E-D, obviously standing for education. It is a talk show where we interview folk from the lens of people who are passionate about education. And a lot of that passion about education came from hip hop. And it's clear through how we approach the questions that we ask and some of the conversation uh, protocols we end up having on the show. There are episodes of our radio show on YouTube and soon to be on Mixcloud as well. And they can be actually heard from 1.30 to 2 every Tuesday on uh, wayofm.org. Uh, Whale 104.3 is a local community radio station here in Rochester, New York. And so can you say that again? Boom Bapt, B-O-O-M-B-A-P-P-E-D, capital E-D. It's on YouTube. If you type in Boom Bapt on YouTube, you'll see our YouTube channel and you'll see a few of the episodes. We talk with uh, board members, we talk with community activists, nutritionists, artists, and we you know, again talk from this perspective of the connection between education and hip hop. And even if the people aren't immediate educators by trade or aren't artists by trade, we still ask questions that connect them within that mind frame. Perfect. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Now, Brandon, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? I'll start with the most recent. Mm-hmm. This one isn't a uh, personal, it's more professional, but it is hyper relevant to what we're talking about. I have always been surrounded by hyper intelligent, strategic, brilliant, thoughtful people. Whether I was working in my school building or whether I was working in a community group or an artist group, whatever. However, when I joined this program with Unbounded, I've said this several times. I felt like a talented army private that got asked to join SEAL Team 6. <laughs> That's a visual. That is perfectly it, communicated. <laughs> yeah. And I know there was a reason why I got asked to do this work and work with these people and be exposed to these things because the skill sets that I've demonstrated and the skill sets that can still be developed within me. But at the same time, I have never experienced a professional self-doubt in a way that I had when I first started. You know, I became aware that this is called like imposter syndrome, didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, over conversations about what it means to join something new with people with different and higher levels of expertise in certain things, 
and to also be a person of color when you're joining things within our systems. Imposter syndrome can certainly be real. And it's just crazy because I didn't feel this way my first year of teaching. And first year of teaching is like a huge identity or personal capacity shakeup. But I didn't even feel that way through that experience, but I felt that way through this. And what I've learned from that, and I'd be lying to you if I said it was technically over. The worst is over. But um, what I've learned and what I'm learning from this is, is a reminder that challenge is opportunity. When you know yourself, you understand that you're your own worst critic. Yes. Right. And that has to be really taken into consideration before you feel like you're not doing everything you're supposed to do. It also teaches me that the same way that like if you're doing CrossFit, as miserable as your body may feel and as much as your body may want to kind of give up because of the challenge, because the challenge is that rich, you're going to be that much stronger when you're done. There are things that I understand about curriculum, instruction, facilitation, ed reform in general, philanthropy that I never understood, not even six, seven months ago. I'm not even halfway through the program. So whatever I think I'm not doing right or whatever I feel like I'm not measuring up for, there's gains. And those gains get shared with, you know, the people that I am learning with and learning from. And there are things that, in a perspective that I do offer, that is uh, contributed and can be heard. And valuing that and sharpening that is something that this experience has taught me. When you spoke about that we are our own worst critic, I think that lands on everybody who's listening because humanity, that's what we do. I had someone on the show who really challenged us to be our own best friend. Mm. this is where this pushed it in a different direction for me. Like we're so used to being our own worst critic, that little negative voice it's in our subconscious. We, we just continue in that direction if someone doesn't stop us. And so one of the things that's really hard Mm. about being our own worst critic is that it just doesn't affect us. That trickles down to those we lead. And that's where it hit home for me. Because as hard as we are on ourselves, we're going to be hard on people around us. That really shook me. Like when you were talking about this, and I'm sure all the listeners get this, we walk in that space, but we really need to do something about it. We can't just decide, oh, I'm my own worst critic and stay there. We need to really move to being our own best friend. And that may sound wonky or silly or childlike but i'm still working on this brandon yeah it's it's not easy and there's something that you said there about how it affects those that we're leading and overall i feel like there's been two extremes where i've been very reciprocal in my leadership approach right but then in the moments where i wasn't it had a lot to do with what you just talked about where there was this uh hypercriticism within myself that led to a stress that led to closed-mindedness and then if a question was asked about whatever i was being my own critic about the students would suffer Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think of a good example test prep is a great example you know where if i feel like after the fact that i might not have done a great job and then i find out that the students didn't do everything that they could or should i already have that stress that i've put on myself not necessarily you know thinking about 
how nuanced and hard and systemically unfair our standardized testing can be. I remember it was one time I found out that students didn't do their best during their session. And I just yelled at them. And I saw the look on their faces. Mm-hmm. And they were like puzzled and shocked and hurt, mm-hmm. right? Because it was deeper than them not doing everything that I thought they should have been doing, or maybe that they should have been doing, but like it wasn't as heavy or serious as I thought it was. But because there was already this hyper criticism and intensity I had around that, it came out through that leadership moment. You know, I'm ashamed of it now. And there's probably like at least four or five other moments that were similar, right. um, just with testing alone. You know, so you're absolutely right. You're definitely right about that. Yeah, and that's an example where that energy, because that's energy, all that thinking is energy. And so when it's released like that, it hurts other people. It's something that as leaders, we need to take responsibility for. And I know for me, the best way to do that is to have a coach, is to have someone speaking into my life who knows me, who I trust. And so that's something I really stand for. And we don't do that a lot in education where we really aren't taught about coaching and how important that is. But it behooves us to really have somebody see that blind spot and help us with our thinking. So thank you so much for tapping into that. It's really important that we have conversations like that. So it's a great question. All right. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? One of my greatest successes has been a release show I did for a rap album that I put out like a year or two ago. A teacher friend of mine, you know, once said, you should do your best to live one life. It shouldn't necessarily be, you know, classroom teacher by day and then, you know, something totally different by night and then, you know, something totally different when you're at in your house. Obviously, you kind of have to compartmentalize, right? But you should do your best to live one life. And that release show, I feel like, did just that because it was organized in a manner that was not just about the project, which was a concept album about my walk as an educator. And so there's one piece of the intersection of my life, right? Music and being an educator. But the show wasn't just about that. It also had community activists there that I knew. It had artists that I've known for a while, family members, obviously, and other artists of varying ages, because I've met a decent amount of people through art and education. And there's a lot of educators who are into the arts, and there's a lot of activists that are into the arts. And it's beautiful because educators are creative people. Exactly. Makes sense. Right? And so everything blended together really well. One of the charges for admission was you had to bring a book in that you'd be willing to swap with somebody else. And in between sets, there was a book exchange where all the books that were brought in were placed on tables. And for like 15, 20 minutes, people just walked around the tables figuring out which book that they would be most interested in. And they had conversations about the literature. Again, you had the most non-rapping listening to teachers there (laughs) with like the most raw energy activists talking to 17-year-old kids, 40-year-old artists, DJs, right? It was just mixed with some of my family, my wife and my siblings and my parents. That evening represented my life just in general. And it took coordinating which is one reason I'm proud of. I'm proud of the art that encouraged that coordination. And I'm proud of the forward thinkingness of it. Like it wasn't just like, hey, celebrate me in this thing. It was like, what momentum can we get from this? There are people who met each other that had similar mindsets 
but in different ways of communicating or living out those mindsets that would have never met each other otherwise. It was a good collection of teachers of color there that usually don't meet up. We're so siloed in our district. So it just provided a lot of community building that can then be used for momentum of actual systemic change. That sounds extremely positive. Now, is there a way to see this show online or anything? I wish I was that smart about it. Unfortunately, I didn't record a live version of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't even take that many pictures, which was ridiculous. But How long ago was that? That was November 2016. Oh, Brandon. Yeah. All right, next time. So that just <laughs> yeah. sets the stage for the next show, right? Sure. Yep. You, you <laughs> learn and you grow. <laughs> All right, Brandon. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? That means to me that it doesn't stop. And that is also something that is very uh, vindicating because I've just felt that way forever. If you're not learning, you're not leading just as plain as that. And I think that's one of the reasons why, in addition to getting my degree in secondary English education, I got my master's in library and information studies because the institution of the library, that's what it's for. One of the reasons is to encourage independent and lifelong learning. And our society changes, we change our society. And to think that your leadership wouldn't be affected by it is really not healthy. So in terms of what that means for me and what I do. I'm just learning as much as I can by watching as many people as I can, by reading as many things as I can, and, and trying to make that habitual, learning myself. And I guess that's the gist of it. Great. Thank you. All right. So, Brandon, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? Getting every teacher the tools they need to understand that they are critical tools for social change. They aren't tools to teach algebra. They aren't tools to teach simile necessarily. Those are stops on the ultimate destination of building new and advanced citizens that will evolve our society. Mm -hmm. And I know some teachers are in access to tools, but don't access them. More so the case, I feel like there are teachers who don't have the tools or aren't aware of tools. So I wish to make those tools very obvious. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why we're having these conversations. And that's why, you know, I created this podcast because it's a journey towards significance or greater significance. And it's through conversations that we can learn a lot of this. So thank you so much. Now, Brandon, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well? Deep Work by mm -hmm. Cal Newport. Mm -hmm. If they're a classroom educator, culturally and linguistically responsive Teaching by Shiroki Holly, Teaching Children of Color, Seven Constructs for Urban Education by Susan Goodwin and Ellen Swartz. And Are You Pedagogy of the Press by mm -hmm. Paulo Ferrer and The Teacher Wars. This is a book that I'm just digging into by Dana Goldstein, subtitled A History of America's Most Embattled Profession. It's deep investigative journalism historical journalism regarding the history of the teacher in America. There are amazing chapters about teacher unionism, about educators of color being in the field, about women being in the field, about state and federal legislation affecting teachers and students. It's a really powerful book by Dana Goldstein. 
Um, I encourage every educator to read it because a lot of us don't even understand the context of our job, um, the historical context of our job, which, you know, obviously has heavy context for what we're doing in the classroom now, you know, so those are a few. Thank you. Very valuable. All right. So, Brandon, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would tell younger me that mental health is hyper important to maintain. Mm -hmm. I kind of knew that, but I'll say on a scale from one to 10, I took it as like a six Mm -hmm. in terms of urgency. But I would tell younger me, like, you need to be at level nine with this understanding because you can really exhaust yourself trying to, I say this facetiously, save the world. You can really, really, really be no good to anybody, to yourself, to your family, to whatever you've cared about if, you know, you get exhausted through those means. Like, especially the deeper you get in terms of how deep some of our problems are. I had said in a poem one time, um, we're supposed to look deep on how society ills us, forgetting the tip of the iceberg is cold enough to kill us. When you get beyond that, it can be even worse in terms of like, what do you do? How do you deal with it? How do you manage this information? Who do you work with? How do you work with these people when they're dealing with their own? So I think that would be the advice for sure. Very deep and important advice because, you know, it circles back to us knowing who we are. Mm-hmm. And it may take a lifetime. We may go through stages of realizations of things that come up. But again, having people speak into our lives is a really important thing to do. So thank you so much, Brandon. And so is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? When something is uncomfortable to understand, push past it. Ask for help. Mm-hmm. Look for texts on whatever you're having a hard time coming to grips with further explore it and further explore why it's making you uncomfortable. Love it. So Brandon, thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. No, thank you for this opportunity. This is servant leadership at its finest. And thank you for all the people that you've allowed to have a, a voice on this podcast. And I'm looking forward to digging into more of the podcast for sure. So thank you for everything you're doing. Wonderful. I had a great time. Have an amazing day. Thanks. You too. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.